0: Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of the Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. So John chapter 6, 16 through 24 says this, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now, it was dark. And Jesus had not yet joined them. And then a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And then they uh, were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they had been heading. Now, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. And then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where their people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into their boats and went to Capernaum in search for Jesus. Let's say a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on our time together. Heavenly Father, we uh, first of all thank you for uh, the scriptures, uh, the word of God that uh, points us to you. And God, I pray that uh, in our study today, as we give our full attention now to your word, uh, that we would in fact encounter uh, your love, uh, your comforting presence, your grace in our lives. And Lord, uh, would you do something significant among us, Uh, meet us in this place in fact, Lord, would you meet each one of us precisely where we're at. Uh, many of us have walked through the doors today carrying burdens. Uh, we pray, God, that you would meet us precisely where we need you to to touch in our lives. Others, Lord, are we're just trying to do our best, faithfully walking along this Lenten journey, practicing a fast of some kind and We pray, God, that in that space that we have done our best to create for you, that you would meet us there. And Lord, we also recognize today that many of us have come with joy and thanksgiving in our heart. God, we thank you for the blessings you have poured out, uh, for your presence in our life. And we pray, Lord, that in our abundance, in our celebration, that we would give you honor and praise. God, you are good, and we pray that you would be with us in these moments together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. After witnessing the miracle of Jesus feeding the multitude, uh, the disciples get into a boat to cross the lake. Uh, The lake here is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, And John wants us to know about a particular detail. Uh, He wants us to know that it is dark. And I've said over and over again, and I will no doubt say this again when we return back to this series in the fall. Uh, the Nothing is frivolous in John. Every detail matters. Every detail is included for a reason. And, and this time he wants us to know that it is dark. And it's actually worth noting that generally speaking, the Jewish people didn't love the water. Uh, they were a lot like me. Uh, they wanted to go to the ocean and not get in it. Um, and some of you don't understand that, but that's okay. Uh, we could, Amy and I could go to the ocean for a week and never step a toe in the water, um, because we're just, we're just like, we're not fish. So, uh, so they were, like, <laughs> so they were a bit like us. Uh, but given the travel limitations of the day, they had to uh, occasionally get in a boat. But they weren't, uh, generally speaking, they didn't love the water. They weren't a, a seafaring race. In fact, uh, to prove that point, in the Jewish imagination, uh, the sea uh, was often associated with chaos, uh, with evil, uh, sometimes with the untamable forces of the spiritual realm. Uh, And this is why, in fact, it was common for uh, the Jewish folks to sing songs that celebrated Yahweh as the Lord over the waters. Uh, Because they knew that the evil, the chaos of life, uh, these untamed spiritual forces uh, needed uh, someone to lord over them. And so they celebrated Yahweh as Lord over the waters. And the truth is, uh, no one likes sailing in the dark. But then in verse 18, we learn that a storm kicks up. Strong winds begin to blow, and then the boat is at risk of capsizing. And when that happens, the storm moves from the category of this is an inconvenience uh, to the category of now this is a matter of life and death. And so here they they were, they were sailing in the dark, Uh, When a storm kicks up, and all of a sudden they find themselves, their very life, at risk. Now, I'd want to submit to us this morning that it probably isn't very much of a stretch for us to see ourselves in a similar situation. Now, I understand that you probably have never sailed the Sea of Galilee at night in a storm. But I would be willing to bet that you have had seasons of your life that were filled with darkness. And in the middle of that darkness, in the midst of that darkness, a storm kicked up. Uh, We have a saying for this, you know. Uh, We often say this when we're feeling that, that kind of reality in our life, that we were walking in darkness and then all of a sudden a storm kicked up. What we often say is, when it rains, it pours. Right, it's this idea that when difficult things come, they seem to come in in, uh, in just these huge groups. They just come in a cascade of difficulty. Uh, you know, it wasn't enough that uh, you were having trouble paying the bills, but then someone had to get sick because when it rains, it pours. It, it wasn't enough that you were commuting to to work or to school and you were crazy busy, and then all of a sudden uh, the car had to break down or the car just plain died. And now you've got a decision to make. And now your finances are out of order because when it rains, it pours. It wasn't just that life was a storm, but now you've got a full-blown shipwreck on your hand. I mean, maybe you've been in a situation where your emotions were raw. You were trying to pick up the pieces of your broken heart or your broken life or your broken spirit. And so yes, you have probably never sailed the Sea of Galilee at night in a storm, but I'd be willing to bet that it isn't too far of a stretch for us this morning to identify with the disciples sailing in the dark in the midst of a storm. And in those moments of our life, when we're facing that kind of reality, that kind of situation, that sort of circumstance, whether it just came to us that was completely out of our control, or maybe it came to us because of some decisions that we made. And then now we're facing the consequences of those decisions. And it feels like just this shipwreck, whatever the nature of the circumstances or how they have come to us in those moments, it feels like our life is at stake. Are you with me? No, you, you know, if you aren't at risk of your heart stopping, you may certainly be at risk of losing your passion or losing your vision or your vitality. You see, the thing about the sea is that it can be very disorienting, um, on occasion, we've, we've been on vacation and we didn't want to get in the water, but we got on a boat that was in the water and we thought that was okay. Um, and, and so we were on this boat and I'm thankful for uh, the captain of the boat who had all sorts of instruments and technology of, to, at his disposal in order to, to guide us to where we were going and then to guide us back. Because when you look out on the horizon of the sea, it can be very disorienting in terms of where you're at, what direction you should be going. And I would submit to you that in the midst of a storm, in the dark, the sea is a directionless place. I would say it's very, very possible to feel as as though you, you really don't know what direction you are going, and you really don't even know what direction you should go. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at a point in your life where you, you're not even sure you're going in the right direction? And, and that's kind of one level of awareness, but the, the other level of awareness is you're not even sure where you should be going, and you just have this, this wave of uncertainty and doubt that comes in. I believe all of us have probably at some point been out to sea in our lives. And that's where the disciples were. They were in the dark, in the middle of a storm, in this directionless place, and their life, their very life, was at risk. And then Jesus shows up. You see, right in the middle of their darkness and right in the middle of the storm, Jesus shows up. And I want you to notice that when they saw Jesus walking on the water, they were afraid. They were afraid. Now, I would think that they would recognize Jesus and be relieved or be thankful, but the scripture says that instead they were afraid. And and here's the reality. Sometimes we can get into, uh, we can get used to sort of weathering our storm. We can, we can, uh, we've come to develop and then depend on all of our coping mechanisms to get us through. And so we feel like even though we aren't thriving, we're at least surviving and we get used to the storm. Have you ever been there? And you've got all the right coping mechanisms, whether they're healthy or unhealthy. You've got all the things all lined up in place. And you sort of come to a place where you're like, Lord, maybe I'll never thrive, but at least I'm surviving. At least I'm just getting through. And I'll tell you what, that's a good thing. We need those coping mechanisms to get through. Sometimes life becomes so difficult, the storm so great, that we just need to focus on getting to the next day because his grace is new every morning and he has strength for us every day. And so that's, I don't want you to hear that that's not okay. In fact, what I want to say is that in the midst of that, where we get used to our storm and we have all of our coping mechanisms, in those moments, even the presence of Jesus can be disrupting before his presence is healing or comforting. Because the presence of Jesus says something is about to change. Wait a second, I don't want something to change. I've got all my coping mechanisms worked out. I've got this thing through. I'm making it. I'm breathing. I'm keeping my head above water. But sometimes even the presence of Jesus can be a little bit disrupting. And then Jesus says to his disciples, it is I, so do not be afraid. And as wonderful as that is, there is actually something going on here that we need to understand the original language in order to catch the fullness of Jesus' words here. The, English fra- the, the phrase that we've translated in English, it is I, is actually the Greek phrase, uh, ego aimi. Ego emi. If you need uh, a tip to, to remember that, just lego my ego, right? Uh, ego emi, which means I am. Which means I am. You see, what Jesus says to his disciples here when he says, I am, so do not be afraid, is actually an echo of when God appears to Moses in the burning bush. Uh, now, this is funny that we call it a burning bush. It was actually a bush that wasn't burning. So I'll call it the non-burning bush. When God appears to Moses in the unburning bush, uh, in that story, God is calling Moses to lead the freedom charge of freeing Israel from captivity in Egypt. And when Moses says, "Well, that's great fire," who is speaking to me in the bush? What am I supposed to tell people when they ask who has sent me or who has tasked me with this incredible calling? What am I supposed to say? What should I tell them? And God, speaking through the burning bush, says, I am that I am. God says back, ego me," which is the Greek version of the Hebrew And if we're wondering, like, what does that mean? What does I am that I am actually mean? It essentially means this. God is telling Moses, tell them that presence himself has sent you. If anyone asks you, tell them that life himself has tasked you and called you to do this. You can't really argue with that. Life himself, presence himself. And so ultimately what Jesus is doing is that in saying these words to the disciples, I am, ego and me, what Jesus is doing once again is he is revealing himself as the divine. And so once again, in the Gospel of John, very early on, we've only gone through six chapters, again, over and over and over again, what John is trying to do is he's giving us these revelations that Jesus is, in fact, God made flesh, the Word made flesh. And so he begins his Gospel by saying, this Word has existed all along. He is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and Holy Spirit, but this Word was made flesh and then tabernacled or made his dwelling among us. And then as he tells the story of this Jesus. He sprinkles in over and over and over again these divine revelations that we need to understand that Jesus himself is God made flesh. And so here we have it again. Jesus is saying, I am the divine. I am the divine presence in your life. I am. And so do not be afraid. In fact, flowing out of this divine revelation is this instruction don't be afraid. Uh, What's interesting is is as you you look at the witness of Scripture, uh, every time there is a revelation of the presence of God, there's an immediate instruction of do not be afraid, Uh, which should tell us, number one, that the fullness of the presence of God is in some way jarring to us. Uh, that what we see now is is a veiled presence of God. And when the veil is lifted and we experience the fullness of the presence of God, there is, there is something jarring about that. Because every single time in Scripture with a divine revelation of the presence of God, the immediate instructions, do not be afraid, come. And so I got to thinking about that. Like, do not be afraid. What does that mean? Like, I should be okay in the storm? Like, I should uh, I should just, like... Pretend that the storm isn't there, like in the midst of a storm uh, on the sea in the dark, what is the real nature of the instructions? Don't be afraid. I got to thinking about that, and I, I think it's something like this. The instruction, don't be afraid, practically speaking, is moving from operating out of a place of fear to operating out of a place of relationship and trust. This idea of of do not be afraid is is moving from, uh, switching from fear as the primary mover, primary motivator of of my actions, of my motivations, of my heart, where fear is the thing driving me forward, do not be afraid, is not pretending that the storm isn't there. It's not pretending that, that, in fact, I'm not scared, but rather don't be afraid is moving from the primary operator now is this relationship of trust, that trust becomes the primary mover in my heart. And can I tell you, this is crazy hard to do. This is really, really hard to do. Because what fear does in the midst of of the storm, in the middle of the dark, what fear does is is rather than trusting God that God is okay, that his presence is comforting, that he's walking with me through this, that's the trust side. What fear does is it says, holy cow, look at the size of the waves. Holy cow, did you see that? Our boat almost flipped over. And there's this, this sort of growing sense of panic as it examines all the evidence around. And now fear is the driving motivator of my actions and my, my perspective and everything else. And what Jesus is trying to say to us and Don't Be Afraid is this. Try to, instead of focusing purely on all the details of the situation, why don't we rather just begin to focus and move to a relationship that, of trust that God is with me. Now, I still need to be a good sailor, right? I still need to know how to navigate the boat in the storm, and I still need to be smart. But in all of those things, I have this resting comfort that God is walking with me through the storm. Uh, To illustrate this a little bit further, let me tell you a silly example. Uh, When we are praying at night as a family, um, our girls' most common prayer request is that they wouldn't have any bad dreams. Um, and I understand that. Bad dreams are terrible, right? Um, and, and I was trying to think of a little different way to approach the request because, quite frankly, I didn't want my kids to have a faith crisis. Uh, that if they do have a bad dream, then they might assume that God doesn't hear or answer prayer. Uh, it seemed like a little bit of a superstitious prayer. Uh, just like, okay, Lord, help me not to have any bad dreams. And, and then, like, what do you do when you have a bad dream, Right? Uh, well, you can either just throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. Is that how it goes? Baby bath? I think that's how it goes. Uh, you can throw the whole thing out uh, and, and say, oh, just forget faith. God can't be trusted because I prayed not to have a bad dream and then I had one. And so anyway, so this is, this is like what I think about during the day. If you wonder what pastors do all day, they think about that stuff. Um, and so, like, so I was thinking about this and I was trying to move it to a less superstitious thing. And, and, and so one day uh, I came up with this and I encouraged them to change the prayer. A prayer request to, to move from, Lord, help me not to have any bad dreams, to, to say this. Lord, if, and, and maybe better, when, when I have a bad dream, uh, help me to know that in your presence, I have no reason to be afraid. And so we've been praying that prayer at night instead. It, it feels a little less superstitious to me. Uh, it feels a little more grounded that uh, I just accept that bad dreams, storms, darkness are a part of life. But in the midst of those, God is present. And in his presence, I have no reason to be afraid. And you might ask, why do I not have a reason to be afraid? Well, because the scripture says that God is love. The scripture also says that perfect love casts out fear. And so in the presence of perfect love himself, I have no reason to be afraid. And so here's how this plays out. If they wake up and realize that they have had a bad dream, they can either begin to allow the content of that dream, or, which is the object of their fear, to overwhelm their heart and completely command their thinking, or they could trust that God is with them and depend on God's comforting presence and relationship to help move them through the fear. Does that make sense? And so, so here's, what I, here's what I want to encourage us to do is in the moments when we're in life and we're just going about life, but then all of a sudden we wake up to the fact that we're in the middle of a storm. I've just had a bad dream. I can allow the the content of that storm and the details of that storm to just absolutely overwhelm me and cripple me with fear, or I can begin to just do the hard work of beginning to trust in the presence of God who is with me. Because here's the truth, and here's the power of this story in John chapter 6, that in the middle of the darkness and in the middle of a storm, Jesus showed up. And that's what I want you to know today is that in the middle of your storm, Christ is present. And it isn't just that God sent his sidekick, right? It's the I am is present. Divine presence himself is with you in the midst of the storm. Walking, you, walking with you through the fear. Here's, what I, here's a distinction I want to make. I want to make a distinction between being afraid and being fearful. Having fear is allowing the circumstances to control my life and drive my heart. Being a, I, but I can be afraid and still Trust. I can trust in the presence of God and still be a little bit uncertain and still be afraid, but I'm moving and I'm being driven by my trusting relationship with my heavenly Father who is present with me. And so a lot of times we say, hey, don't be afraid. We feel guilty if we're scared in the midst of the storm. And I would want to say, I I want to give you permission. It's okay to be scared. A few months ago, someone came into my office and they said, today was the day I got the diagnosis. I've got cancer. And they were looking to me for something to say. And let me tell you, just because you, wear the, just because you sit in the office of pastor or you have a title or whatever it is, doesn't mean that you're any more equipped to know what to say in those situations. The only thing I knew to say in that moment was, it's okay to be scared. You can be scared. But God is with you. God is with you. And as you walk through this journey, what I want you to do is I want you to wake up every day and remind yourself of the presence of God in your life he's gonna go with you. And what I have found is that oftentimes we have to move through the thing, through the storm. Sometimes Jesus calms the storm, right? We see that. There's, there's scriptural evidence that Jesus gets in the boat, the disciples are afraid, they're fearful for their lives, and then Jesus shows his command over the wind and the water Interesting he would do that for Jewish people who see the the sea as the source of chaos in their life. Jesus, once again, is just revealing, I am the divine presence himself uh, that has dominion over the waters. But in this passage, all it says is Jesus got in the boat and then they went through it. And they were immediately there. But they went through it. I think a lot of times we have to go through the storm. We have to go through the darkness, knowing that the dawn is about to come. There's a children's book about going on a bear hunt, and so this this, this little family sets out and says they're going on a bear hunt, and then they come to this forest and they can't go, uh, they can't go around it, they can't go over it, can't go under it, they got to go through it, and so they go through it, and then they come to this big lake and they got to go, they can't go around it or under it or over it, they got to go through it, and I think that's a pretty good metaphor for when we bump up against things in our life that are challenging and difficult. Everything in us wants to go to one side or the other. Everything in us wants to go over it or under it. But I think a lot of times Jesus wants to just say, take my hand and let's go through it. Let's go through it together. You see, the story of Jesus walking on the water is a bit like Jesus trying to tell us, you are going to face storms in life. So maybe stop praying superstitious prayers that they won't come. <laughs> but instead, rest in the fact that I will be with you in the middle of the storm. And here's what I want us to see this morning. Jesus doesn't identify himself with God and then share in God's work of walking with us through the storm and then reveal God's glory just for glory's sake. But rather, he reveals his glory for the sake of grace. In fact, this, in this story, the glory of God is, in fact, revealed in the grace that is poured out in the situation. Oftentimes, we, we've said, what does the glory of God look like? And, and a lot of times, we reserve this idea of the glory of God to, to be God flexing his divine muscles and, and proving his power and dominion over that. And it certainly can be that. But, but I want us to also understand that the glory of God can look like a dying Messiah on a cross. That the glory of God is revealed in God's own vulnerability. And then this time, what it's revealed as is his grace in the situation. And so Jesus' presence allays the disciples' fears, ensures safe passage to the other side, and then reminds them that God is and has been all along their very source of rescue. So here's what I want to say to you. Jesus' glory is not revealed for power or for influence sake, but rather Jesus' glory is revealed in grace-filled pastoral care. Jesus comes to them in their time of need, of struggle, in the midst of the storm, and he walks with them. And this church reveals the glory of God. The glory of God is revealed in his grace-filled pastoral care for his disciples. I want you to leave church today confident that the glory of God is revealed in the comforting presence of Christ in our lives. And I want you to know that as you walk through your darkness and your storms, that Jesus is saying to you, I am. I am. And again, flowing out of that divine revelation is the instruction, so do not be afraid. I am. So do not be afraid. And he isn't saying that to impress you. He isn't saying that to to flex his spiritual superpowers. But rather he is saying that so that you will find freedom from fear and be brought safely to the other side of your struggle or of your storm. And again, my experience is that most often God doesn't take away the darkness but rather goes with us until the dawn breaks. Most often, God doesn't end the darkness but goes with us until the dawn breaks. Amen. My prayer for you today is that you would find tremendous comfort in the presence of God. That somehow God would meet you right here in this place. And that you would just be overwhelmed with His presence. With this this feeling of, of love for God's presence is love. He is love. And I pray that we would experience that. At the Lord's table today, the Holy Spirit of God has promised that where there are two or three gathered in His name, He will be present among them. And He also shows us over and over again that as we gather around the Lord's table to remember His death, His passion, and His resurrection, He has promised also to be present in this act. And so we come today not, uh, not just to remember, but we come, in fact, to experience the presence of Christ through communion.